Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm really excited about today's interview because we're going to talk to somebody sort of outside the the business world. We're going to talk to a professional comedian, and uh, I'm really excited about some of the stuff he has to say, and hopefully he'll make us laugh while he's here on our show. Before we get started, every show from now leading up till April 1st, I'm adding in a small tip for solopreneurs because April 1st will mark six years that I've been working for myself. I, I got laid off on April 1st, 2009. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it as a speaker and a trainer and a professional master of ceremonies, but I am really, really glad that I have made it this far and and hopefully the trajectory keeps going. So in the shows leading up, I have sort of my 20 top tips that I always tell people who want to go off and kind of launch onto their own. So this is tip number two as we lead up towards April. And that tip is you got to think big and you got to do big. One of the things I find that a lot of solopreneurs do is they think a lot. They're always planning. They're always trying to come up with an idea. They're strategizing, but they never follow through on the doing. So while I'm a real big believer that you have to think big and and set really big goals for where you want your company and your career to go, you also have to take equally large actions. So the second tip in our 20 tips is think big and do big. So let's jump into today's interview. Today's guest is Kevin Bartini. He is a stand-up comic, a comedy writer, and an actor who started working 15 years ago as a professional comic. Now, he said before that he was 19 when he got started, so this has been his career. He has been sort of a solopreneur the whole time, because when I think about people in the entertainment business, whether it's an actor or a musician or agents or other people— Many of them are just solopreneurs. They're really just out there trying to earn a living and fight the good fight every single day. And this is what he's done. He said before he did that, he started off working in restaurants and was going to learn to be a chef. And then he just was making people laugh. And this became the path that he took. His act is an ever-changing mix of personal uh, and often embarrassing stories, political humor, observational, observational humor, and improv. And what I think is cool is he often does the warm-up for shows like The Daily Show and The Col- Colbert, uh, Colbert Report, and he's out there, you know, fighting the good fight. And another thing I saw when I was on his website, which is kevinbartini.com, I saw that in 2014, he and another comic completed a three-year sort of fight with the city to get a street renamed for the great legend George Carlin. So when we get to sort of the end of the interview, when I ask guests about what do you do to give back to the greater good, uh, I want to ask him a little bit about that as well. So Kevin, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey man, thank you for having me on. It's a nice intro, I appreciate that. Sure, well I, I kind of gave him a little bit of the background, but why don't you fill us in a little bit about how Kevin went from being this 19-year-old kid to now being a, a recognized New York stand-up comic. Um, well, it was a long, you know, a long process. Like like I said, uh, or like you said in, in the beginning, I've been doing this for 15 years. However, I, I wouldn't say I've been a professional comedian for the last 15 years. You know, the first at least eight, uh, I treated more or thought of myself more as um as a, as if I was going to college and those were my college years <laughs> learning learning this um so i I treated you know the the credit card debts that i that I rang up and things like that i I thought of them like student loans really you know um and so it's only been the last probably five or six years that I would say I've been working as a professional comedian um 
But I mean, I just, I yeah, I started out when I was 19 years old and uh, started in a club once or twice a week, maybe if I was lucky to get five minutes, um, which was in Albany, which was about an hour away from where I lived, and that was the nearest comedy club. And then I moved down to New York and uh, started working the door at uh, at a club and uh, just doing open mics and working my way in and trying to learn and trying to gl- to grow. And, uh, and I ended up here all of a sudden, 15 years whipped right by. Well, as I talk to people in a variety of different businesses, I always get kind of that same story. You don't get to start at the top. You don't get to say, hey, this is going to be my career. And all of a sudden you have this, you know, big six-figure salary and all the kudos that goes with it from everybody. Uh, I like the way you sort of described the early days of being a comic as being sort of your college experience. Because I think that, you know, for me, I mean, I was 40-something when I started my own business six uh-huh. years ago. But I had the same thing. It was the credit card debt. It was, you know, the the learning curve. It was sort of trying to establish myself. And so I think it doesn't matter if you're 19 or 42. I think at the end of the day, anytime you start into a business, you've got a bigger learning curve than most people think. So I I do like sort of that analogy of the way you started, you know, your comedy career. It's really the same that all of us start our businesses. Yeah, I I, I agree. I've always just, I always looked at it that way uh, since, since day one. I, you know, I, um, I, I was fortunate enough that I didn't run up credit card bills that were astronomical, nowhere near what uh, I would have been in debt eight years in if I had, you know, done four years at a university. Uh, so I, you know, I felt like I was ahead of the game a little bit. But yeah, I, I worked every night at uh, for no pay, you know, for just for the stage time and just for the experience. And I, I, um, I worked the door at um, a club in New York called Stand Up New York. And uh, in exchange for Tearing tickets and and uh, delivering fries and uh, unclogging the toilet if that's what needed to be done <laughs> in that moment. I would get a spot late on the shows uh, and I would, uh, you know, get my foot in the door at a club and and that's what was awesome was I got to sit for probably two years. And like I said, looking at this like a college and every night. Um, watching some of the the best comics in the world night in, night out. And, and we're talking back then, you know, it was Dave Attell and Greg Giraldo and Patrice O'Neill and Jim Norton. And, and then Chris Rock would drop in and, and, and other, you know, huge, amazing comics. And I, and Jim Gaffigan, and I would get to watch them night in and night out and actually see how they edited a new bit over the course of a week or two and how they changed and how they were tweaking their their act. So it really was like college for me. I was just studying the masters and and trying to pick up everything I could glean. So Kevin, a lot of the people who listen to my show are, you know, a little older than 19 and they're starting their businesses. A lot of people are, you know, late 30s, early 40s and they're sort of feeling that pang to want to chase whatever their life's calling is. What gave you the I don't know, the guts or the gusto to go for it at 19 and just say I'm going to I'm going to go and be a comic? It's what I wanted since I was six. Uh, I really didn't. Um, I really didn't aspire to to uh, anything other than a stand-up comic since I was about six years old. And that's the God's honest truth. Uh, so, it, one of the factors was I, you know, you really. It's not a job you can do uh, unless you're, you know, at least twenty twenty one. I mean, for the practicality of there's bars where you can't perform under twenty one and. Uh, you know, if you're 17 and you're a killer comic, 
you know, and you're in New York City, then then that's a different story. But I was out in the sticks and the no comedy club within, you know, within a, a five hour drive would have put up a 16 year old, 17 year old kid. So I did, um, I did theater my whole childhood and, and community theater and high school theater and, and grade school and then summer stock and everything, uh, leading up till I was, you know, um, old enough to be a stand up comic. Figuring that that would give me an edge up that I would already be very comfortable on the stage and and that absolutely worked out i i didn't have i've never had the stage fright and I never was intimidated by a large audience even right early on so my my material was very amateur, but uh at least I was comfortable giving it and that that definitely helped. I always say if I could go back and do one thing differently, I would have started my own business a lot earlier. So I admire, yeah. maybe I'm a little jealous of, of you being able to, to sort of know what you wanted to do as a young kid and, and just go yeah. for that. Yeah, it, it was great knowing, you know, it, it was great knowing young and, and even greater now that I'm 35 and I can look back and, you know, think, oh, if I could tell, I, if I could show that kid this, you know, I have those moments often. Um, so it was fortunate. And, and also starting when I did, um, I figured kind of the, the average age of a guy starting comedy is probably around, around 25. And, uh, I just figured, look, I'm not, I don't have, uh, kids yet. I'm not married. I didn't even have a girlfriend. I had nothing, you know, no, no, nothing in my hometown of a life to, that, to keep, keep me there that I was responsible to. I was able to go out and for the first years, you know, not make money and just learn and starve and, and live off ramen noodles and, uh, and, and, you know, and have that whole experience because I started so young. And I think that's an advantage that you get, frankly, especially in comedy, if you start 19 or 20 versus giving it a shot at 35. You, you know, I had I was responsible to nobody but myself. Sure. And I, I, I see a lot of similarities between the world of being a professional speaker and the world of being a professional comic because there is a lot of that. I don't Absolutely. know. There's a lot of that experience that comes from the stage time. People will call me sometimes and say, hey, I want to do what you do. I want to go in and do seminars and I want to speak at conferences and be a professional master of ceremonies. And I tell them it's going to take 300 presentations before you're going to get really yep. comfortable as a speaker where you can handle anything. I, w I was speaking one time and the entire hotel lost power. And yeah. the room had windows, so we weren't in darkness, but my PowerPoint went away, everything went away, and I just kept going with my stories. And, you know, I right. acknowledged it, but I just kept going. And about 20 minutes later, I'm getting near the wrap of my presentation, and I'm getting into sort of my closing story, my, my sort of signature story that I tell. And right before I get into it, the whole hotel just started to hum as the power came back up. And uh -huh. I looked at the audience, and I said, you know, a great speaker illuminates their audience. And the nice. room, the room just bursted into laughter. And afterwards, this guy comes up to me and he goes, do you have something planned for every possible thing <laughs> that can go wrong? And I'm like, no, what do you mean? And he said, that line was really funny. Had you been saving that in case you ever lost power? And, <laughs> and, and I laughed and I said, I don't, I don't think you could come up with every scenario. But no, because at that time I had given about 300 speeches or 250, I was comfortable enough that in my own skin that I could do what I had to do. And I think in your world, it's the same way. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, it's it's absolutely which is which is exactly why I um, why I wanted to to correct the record there. Ed, when you in my intro said I was a professional comedian for fifteen years, I want to make a point <laughs> to say no, I wasn't professional fifteen years ago. 
I, it was exactly I, 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 there's a quote attributed to somebody much smarter than me and I, I don't remember who but to paraphrase it he said you know if you want to be great at anything it takes a thousand hours of doing it which sure. it's, well, it's exactly what it is the reason you were able to riff right off the bat and come up with something and just have the confidence to do it is because you've done 300 speeches which are you know which is getting your batting practice in you know you 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 can't be the you, you can't be the greatest uh foul shooter in the NBA unless through your entire childhood you're Larry Bird standing out there long after dark just doing foul shot after foul shot you yep. have to you have to practice and you have to grow and be confident and and that's that's what that's what I love about stand up is that you can do it your entire life, and if you keep at it, like Jerry Seinfeld is an example, you keep at it, you're, 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 you just keep getting better. Your muscles keep developing and, and staying tight, and that's why Jerry Seinfeld is as funny now as he was in the 80s. He's, he's amazing, and, and you know George Carlin did that too. I love that. I love that you can you're keep practicing and keep growing. It's... it's uh, it makes you makes you look forward to the, you know, the next album and the next whatever because I know it'll be better than the last. So there are several people who I know who are professional speakers who started in stand up, and a couple people come to uh-huh. mind, and that's a guy named Brad Montgomery and another guy named Darren Lacroix, and both uh-huh. of them teach speaking skills to other people and they coach people on it, and they use their stand up background, and, and Darren uses the term stage time yep. as the only way you're going to get better is you just got to get out there and do it, and sometimes it. you're sometimes you're going to crater, right? Oh, and what do you mean, crater? Just you're going to bomb. There's going to be a day. Oh, my God. When, when... oh, yeah, of course. Oh, of course. And, and especially in the beginning, uh, in the beginning years, I mean, you, you work, your first goal as a comic is a tight seven minutes, just seven minutes of material from start to finish that is going to hit and it's going to be tight and then it's going to get better. But to get to those seven minutes, <clears throat> you have to be on stage for hours trying out material and the only way you get to those seven minutes is by seeing all the other stuff bomb (laughs) and stand up there for you know for five to seven minutes and tank but have one laugh somewhere and be (laughs) able to pull that one laugh out and figure okay that stood out that's going into the seven minutes and that's that's how you do it the only way you can do it is is trial and error and and it involves so much error um and that's part of what you learn and that's part of what makes a great comic great once they get down the road is that they've bombed so many times you're you know you emotionally you're pretty much numb <laughs> to it and you just understand it's part of the game and you know you you leave the stage and you bombed this time and tomorrow night you know you're 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 going to kill and the next night you'll kill so it happens but it's such an important part so Kevin what do you love about the life that you've created working for yourself being an entrepreneur for all practical purposes what do you love about it I uh, I have a special amount of pride in the fact that every penny that I bring in uh, comes from being funny in some measure. I what I I uh, whether it's for writing for my you know for another comedian doing a you know a, a bits on a radio show and getting money for it or or doing stand up and touring and selling my albums and. Uh, and doing, and then doing audience warm up and stuff like that. Um, I, it's, it's not just, there's never just one thing you, I have to have, you know, you have to have many different streams of, of potential income coming in, knowing that they're not all going to 
going to flow or gush at the same time, but also hopefully they won't all, you know, <laughs> dry up at the same time either. So I, that's what my favorite thing about it is, is that everything I, everything I, I earn is from a sense of humor, you know? So is there anything you don't love? Is there any times you wake up and think, I could have gone to work for a bank or, or maybe I, I could have, I could have become a chef and just had a regular, you know, job with hours. No, no. I mean, there's <clears throat> the downside is there is uh, um, the travel can often be you know weary. <laughs> I don't I don't do as much road as I do some road, but nowhere near as much as some guys. Because so. you're in New York, right? I'm yeah, I'm in New York. Um, so but the travel probably- sucks oftentimes, and uh, frankly, the the um, the fluctuation in your in your income. There's no. It's never steady. You know, right. it's it's a gig here and then something here and something there. So it's, uh, you know, it's not steady that, that, that takes some, some getting used to. Um, <laughs> I, I know all, I know all about that. Yeah. Uh, so those, those are a little bit of the downsides. And and then, you know, you have to deal with, <clears throat> with the, the bookers and, you know, this guy likes you and this guy doesn't. And why doesn't this guy book me and, and, you know, the million phone calls and all that kind of stuff uh, that are that are kind of a, a headache. If I could only you know do just the stage time part of it, I would be happy. But <laughs> but no, it's never. There's never been a moment where I thought, ah, uh, what if I had you know stayed in the kitchens? I I or or, or went and got a a legit legit job somewhere. It's uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I've never I've never thought, boy, I wish I was standing over a hot stove right now. <laughs> So, so what advice do you have for somebody who maybe it's a 19 year old kid who is like, I have a dream. Maybe, maybe it's to be a stand up, but maybe it's to do something else in business and they have that dream. What advice do you have for them? I would just say my, since my experience is only really in comedy, but you can apply it how you will. Um, the advice I always give young guys who are starting out is, is to, uh, is to not, be afraid of bombing, not let it bother you, and not have anyone in your your family come see you until you've got your tight seven. <laughs> don't don't burden yourself with having anyone in the audience know you and remember you, because then you feel like you're being judged. Just go out there and and do your stuff in front of strangers and enjoy that anonymity and tank and learn from it and eventually kill. It's so the best, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to, how to, how to give advice to, to people outside comedy other than, you know, if you're 19, give it a try now before, you know, uh, while, while you don't have responsibilities to anybody but yourself, just give it a shot. I think that's great advice. Like I said earlier, I wish I could go back and, and have the, the, the drive or the guts or whatever to go and have tried to do something on my own many years before I actually did. So I think that's yeah. great advice. Yeah. Oh. I hope so. I, 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 uh, it, it, I don't know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the show is called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And we could talk about you and your career for a whole hour, and that would be great. But I always like to ask people, what's something you see someone else doing in their business that's cool? Maybe this is another comic. Maybe it's somebody you know who's an actor or a musician. Or maybe it's someone you know who just owns a small business or something. Who do you know who's doing something cool where you go, hey, he or she is really kicking it? Uh, I've, I've two examples. Um, the first being my wife who has, uh, when we met, when we were just kids here in New York, she was a professional dancer and, um, like she danced like back up on Michael Jackson stuff and wow. 
yeah, with a lot of big ones. And how she went from that and transitioned into her her passion is fitness and and health and transitioning in, in, over to uh, to teaching fitness classes and moving up the ranks and then creating a personal training business off of that. And now she's she's got her own you know her her own constantly a, a blog and and a, and a real social media presence and and it start started becoming a a brand ambassador for things like I'm proud of her because like it's cool like you know brands have been reading her blog and following her and just like hey you know here's some here's some uh, sparkly headbands would you give them a try and here's some of this and that so she's really good about the social media aspect and the blog and and I see what she does and I'm like wow that's really cool you know and then I I'm pretty much too lazy to do it myself (laughs) (laughs) well maybe I should have Mrs. Bartini on the show yeah, you should, you absolutely would. You would, you guys, I'll, I'll set the two of you up uh, uh, with an email or something. You, she, would, she does a bunch of these podcasts, and is funny, and actually is a one of the co-hosts on my podcast as well. Um, I love working with her. With her. What is your podcast? Uh, How can people find you? Our podcast is called the Movie Preview Review Podcast, and uh, on each episode, we review new movies based on having only seen the previews. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's me and a, like. A couple other people, like I said, my wife uh, is included, and um, actually, she's the only one on there who's not a stand-up. Everybody else, my co-hosts are comics, and then we bring a guest in who's generally a stand-up comic as well. And we don't know going in what previews we're going to see, and we just, you know, start either bashing on them or having a conversation about them. And it's a, it's a fun show, and um, it can be. You can find a link to it at kevinbartini.com. Is you know the simplest way for. I find for everything Twitter and everything else. Just go to kevinbartini.com and you can find it. Um, I, I think that's a yeah. great premise. I think that's a great premise for a show. I'm going to have to start listening to it because I know when my wife and I, we love to go to movies, and I know when yeah. the previews go, we'll lean over and go, I'll see that. Or we'll lean, <laughs> o- we'll lean over and go, oh my God, not in a million years. Yeah. The other person who's not doing something really cool, who also would actually be a really cool guest on your show, is an artist... Um, his name is Michael Alpert, and he does these these prints um, of it's a collage um, of of like for example like the uh, the to be or not to be from from Shakespeare, and and it's a collage, and every letter is made up with things that he's cut off of advertisements or cereal boxes and stuff like that, you know. So it's and and then mixed then within it are all the different characters. Uh, you know the Jolly Green Giant and mm-hmm. and uh, Snap Crackle and Pop and all these obscured pulp, pop culture things and they come together in this collage of of awesome stuff like I said like To Be or Not to Be or or um, uh, the the Declaration of Independence that kind of stuff and then he takes and then he makes these prints off of them and they're visually stunning and they're cool from a distance and then up close you actually get to see you get to read what he's got and then you. You kind of can pick up how each of the different characters represent somebody for that play, and, and you, I find that I can look at this guy's stuff, you know, for 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 hours, and I have a, a couple of of his works hanging in my apartment. Um, and the cool thing he does is I I happened upon him like ten years ago and saw some of his stuff, and then uh, last April I uh, I was walking along the Upper East Side, and right outside of. Uh, the Museum of Modern Art. He was standing on the sidewalk, and he had, he was just giving out 
his his work and signing it and and just these prints that are are autographed and in a store would be you know so expensive each one for everybody and he would stand there all day and, wow uh, yeah and then he goes in and he does he teaches some you know he'll go into schools and and kind of teach uh, you know guest teaching art class and stuff um i was I, I i love his art and then i i love the way he he works with uh you know just giving it out there and and um spreading his his stuff his name is michael alpert and uh it's surrealism um but i believe he he spells it like serialism oh interesting yeah he's great he's really cool well, thanks for sharing that. I always find that some of the best entrepreneurs are observers, and so they're always able to give like really cool observations of what other people are up to as well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's awesome. It was it was really cool because I hadn't I just like I said had gotten one print maybe maybe you know ten or twelve years ago, and uh, and then hadn't really seen or, or thought of him all that much, and it hung in my in my apartment, and then I that then that day like last April just walking by and seeing a crowd and then seeing what it was I actually waited online to get one and just <laughs> introduce myself and tell him that I bought one you know years ago and that we love it and I turned a couple people on to it and we actually uh, you know he was we, we started chatting and became a bit of you know a little bit of buddies uh, out of it and uh, I, I since have gotten a number of his things and, and, and absolutely love him so That's he would great. be a, a cool guest I think for your show as well excellent so another thing I love to ask everybody is, what do you give back to the greater good? How do you make an impact on society? Because the best entrepreneurs find ways to, to leave their mark and have sort of their legacy. And on your website, it talked about how you and another comic fought to get a street named in New York for the legendary George Carlin. And what made me laugh is this was, I thought, oh, this must be an old article because I'm sure there was a George Carlin street in New York 10 years ago. And I started reading the article, and it said June 2014. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, that's only six months ago. What, tell yeah. me about that. Uh, yeah, that, it is. It, it seems like a no-brainer that New York would have had a street named for him. But, um, yeah, I, I, basically I had the same thought you did. I, I walked by um, his block, which is in my neighborhood, uh, and I walked over – to find the actual building he grew up on uh, in and just to make a little pilgrimage. And it just, it was about, I don't know, three, four years ago now. So he had been dead for three years and the street, which he lived on, his mother lived on for almost 50 years. Uh, the, the area that he immortalized in so many of, of his albums, and, and uh, to, a, to a George Carlin fan, that's like going to, you know, Abbey Road for Beatles. <laughs> sure. You know? And all that considered, the, I, I walked to the building. I found it. There's no plaque on the building. The street's not named after him. There's no corned beef sandwich at a deli anywhere close by named the George Carlin. It just seemed really weird. And I, I remarked to a to another comedian a couple of days later, just because we were having a conversation um, about George Carlin. I was just mentioned that, and uh, I just blurted out, you know, somebody really needs to get you know, New York City to, to hang a street sign there. And uh, my buddy was like, yeah, why don't, why don't you do it? And uh, all right, okay. <laughs> I, um, I, I was looking at the time for a diversion actually from stand-up just to take a little mental break from it for a while. Um, I kept doing it, but I needed to have, and maybe this is important too for people who run their own businesses, I needed to have some interest that wasn't directly 
writing bits and going on the stage. So it, it was in the peripheral of comedy, but it, it just let me focus even for a little while every once in a while on something else. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I started standing out on the street and getting petition signed, pen and paper, you know. And um, then we, we started, we had to petition through different channels of the, of the government, and we met some uh, fierce opposition from the Catholic Church, uh, which turned it into a national news story. And um, it took about what should have taken 18 months, took us uh, all total three years to get done. And uh, most of that was due in part to the, the long battle that, uh, <laughs> that we had. But, 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 it, but as someone who specializes in observational humor, you probably got a ton of material out of it. Huh. Well, I have a ton of stories and a ton of feelings about it, but I've never talked about it on stage. Um, I've never referenced George Carlin Way on stage or anything about it. Um, first reason was because it was a public campaign, uh, I couldn't, I felt, uh, you know, go on while it was happening and, you know, go do bits where I'm bashing these guys <laughs> or anything like that for fear that, you know, Sure, it would come back to haunt you. Sure, um, it would come back to haunt me. Right, all, all of a sudden, an article in the in the post or something, you know, comic bashes Catholic Church over this, <laughs> blah blah blah. It's, I treated it like a political campaign and was always wary of of how to you know of the press and and uh, how to make you know manage it. So I never talked about it on stage during, and now that it's done, I'm uh, I'm I'm it's behind me and I'm distancing myself a little bit from it. Because I don't want to be the, you know, I don't want to be thought of as the guy who just keeps dropping George Carlin's name to try to try to further his own career. You sure. know, like I'm happy to talk about it on the on on podcasts and stuff, but um, when it comes to taking it onto the stage, it's uh, I would never never turn a bit out of it. I get that, and I admire that. I think that's uh, I think that's honorable not to totally cash in on it in that way yeah. for, for that reason. But I do get the idea of why, when you're in the midst of it, if you're up there bashing it, I could totally see why that would that could have right. derailed the whole thing. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I had to be very careful, and I had to also be very careful because at the beginning, when we were, were when we were when we were battling the Catholic Church, we were doing it in front of the local community board. So um, <clears throat> we uh, when it started. We were uh, definitely outnumbered. Uh, people were more against us than than were with us, and uh, I had I had I realized really quickly that I have to bite my tongue in meetings uh, and anything else. I can't. I, I I wasn't. I didn't want to have the whole thing derailed um, and end because I shot my mouth off and said something stupid. You know, um, I didn't want to give them a reason to be like, well, now because you're rude, we're, you know, we're just going to reject your petition. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I had to be very measured uh, throughout. And uh, and the best asset that I had was I, I had we, a publicist, a professional publicist helping me. His name is Joe Trenacosta. And he was kind of helped to, you know, to be a, an advisor and a consigliere and, you know, help me um, best manage media and, uh make sure that we, we kept ourselves and kept the story where we wanted it. So, Kevin, so what's, Kevin, what is the coolest thing you're doing in your career for 2015? 2015 is starting off pretty good. Um, right now, coolest things are my, my new album, which just was released this week, and it's called The Unintentionally White Album. And uh, it's my second full-length stand-up 
concert album and um, very, very proud of it and very excited that it's out. So that's a cool thing um, just as a milestone to start the year. And then the other cool thing that has just happened was, um, well, as you know, because I had to cancel our interview yesterday, um, I'm starting to do some audience warm-up at the nightly show with Larry Wilmore. So it's a new exciting show that's coming out that I'm <clears throat> obviously a huge I'm a huge fan of The Daily Show and of Colbert, and and having gotten to work for them has been an honor. And now uh, getting to do uh, getting to see the nightly show from the very beginning is 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 exciting and very interesting for me because I didn't get to see those other two shows in person from the very beginning. So I'm, I'm that's probably the coolest thing of my year will be working with them. Well, that's great. So if people want to find out more information about you, if they want to find out how to get the Unintentionally White album, or uh, just find out where you're going to be doing your comedy, how can they find you? KevinBartini.com. That's the one-stop shop for everything. You can find my Twitter, my Facebook. You can message me. Uh, upcoming dates are there and, and everything else. Um, so you can find it all just by going to KevinBartini.com. And uh, the album, um, the Unintentionally White album, is available all over wherever uh, fine meats and puddings are sold on the internet. (laughs) So I assume that all the really smart comedy club owners have named a drink the Kevin Bartini Martini. Well, I'm sure they they will at some point. We just got to get on them. Maybe that'll be my new petition. Maybe <laughs> I'll start right. it. <laughs> I, I would think that that's a no-brainer for everybody. Well, I'll tell you what. They may they may never get around to it, but uh, I know if I ever get my own ice cream from Ben & Jerry's, Ben & Jerry themselves told me that that would be my ice cream. That's the Kevin Bartini Martini. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for being on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Since oh, the, it was my pleasure. Since the beginning of the show, I have wanted to start having a couple of people in the entertainment business on this show because I believe, like I said when we started off, that people who are comics and actors and performers and agents and directors, so many of them really are solopreneurs who are out doing the same thing those of us who work in a business setting are doing. And I think that you prove that by being here on the show. The struggles that you've faced are the same struggles that we all face, you know, kind of working for ourselves and growing a career. So again, thank you for being on the show. Oh, hey, man, it was my pleasure. Happy to do it. And uh, definitely email me off the air and I will give you the contact of those guys. And I can even recommend a couple other uh, comic slash entrepreneurs that that you may be interested to talk to. That would be great. So for those of you who are listening, thanks for tuning in to this episode and thanks for sticking through to the end. I always like it when people call me and say, you know, I was there when you thanked us at the end. I'm one of those people who go the whole half hour. So I appreciate that. If you want to find more information about me or about the show, you can find us on Twitter at Tom Singer or at Cool Podcast. I also have a Facebook page where we can have some discussion back and forth at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. And in the meantime, go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>